This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, we've packed a number of shows together to give you some highlights. I know you're going to enjoy the show. Thank you for being with us today. Cowboy Joe, welcome to the show. Honored to have you on. I, I have, you know, after reading a little bit about you, actually seeing you on another podcast, I, thought, okay, you know, I had the team reach out because I thought you'd be a great guest. You just a lot of great experience, even some war stories. I know we're going to dive into a little bit that I think helped you in a massive way. It's going to help the listeners as well. Uh, but welcome. Thank you for having me on here, Whitney. I uh, truly enjoy doing this and hope by sharing that I add value to your listeners as well. Yeah, I have no doubt that you will, uh, for sure. Well, you know, 39 years of experience in construction, project management, development. Uh, I mean, lots of different aspects of this business and real estate. And and no doubt you've learned a lot, uh, to, to say the least. Uh, but, you know, let's hear a little bit about that, though. Let's, let's go back to, uh, you know, your experience in real estate, how you got to kind of where you're at today, because there's many things there that I know are helping you now to help many other people, uh, you know, that, that you learned, right? So let's back up a little bit. Who's Cowboy Joe and how did you get to where you're at today? Well, I was raised on a ranch. Uh, my granddaddy was a very intelligent businessman. He built uh, an empire in Sumter County, Alabama, uh, literally built most of that town and that county with partners. I developed a love for the land and improving the land throughout that. Uh, went into college with majoring in environmental science with the thought that, okay, I can do stuff that benefits land and started doing environmental remediation with a little bitty company called Waste Management Incorporated, traveling all over the world, literally, and was enjoying that. They sold my division to another company that I didn't agree with their business practices. So I went into business for myself, started investing in real estate. I'll date myself here. My first mentor was Charles J. Givens. There's probably not a lot of people that know who he is, but he was one of the original real estate educators in the space. He's passed since then. I started in fix and flip and created finance, but I loved development. I loved what can I do with raw land? So I just jumped into development wide open. Back then, we were taught money sitting in a checking account was dead money. It had to be working. So you take that money, you put it to work, and you leverage it into something else. And if you got equity in a project, then you take that equity as well, and you leverage that into something else, and you, you keep leveraging. Well, leverage is the secret of the rich, but it's strategic leverage, making sure you're not over leveraged. 08, 09 come along and following those concepts, I was like, okay, we're rocking and rolling. And uh, between my real estate ventures and my company that was doing government construction was worth close to $100 million. Well, 08, 09 happened. And with all that over leveraging and things, there was a domino effect. And I went from being worth that to a rather large negative number. That put me into a tailspin. I basically, I spent, well, I also had a four-wheeler wreck that had me bedridden for about seven months. And then I used that as an excuse not to do anything for another year and a half. I went through a very brutal divorce uh, and couch surfed for a year and a half. I 
learned that term from my kids. That's euthanism for being homeless. Uh, basically, would stay at a friend's house until I wore up my welcome and then go to another friend's house. Uh, stayed in uh, my truck for a while as well. But I woke up one day and I said, all right, you, this isn't you. You're being lazy. You got to get back at it. Kind of cowboy away. You get thrown off the horse. You got to get back on. So started doing the exact same thing that made me a multi-millionaire the first time around. And I felt like I was hitting my head against a wall, hitting the ceiling, couldn't go anywhere. I, was, I actually felt I was going backwards, doing the same thing I did that I know made money. So I started having the thoughts, okay, was I lucky the first time? Did I truly deserve that? Is it me? And then just all the self-talk that we go through when we perceive we're not being successful so i got i was fortunate i ran across uh who's now he's a friend a mentor and a partner a book called chasing success by dr alok trevetti well when i clicked on the link to buy the book it said well book a call with the author and i'm like yeah right like you're going to talk to the author uh i booked it anyway and not to go too deep into it but we had a talk and one of the things he said until you get rid of that anger you're not, you're going to stay stuck and you're not going to go anywhere. Well, I laughed at him. I said, Doc, if you told a hundred people that knew me that I was an angry person, they'd laugh at you too. And he said, well, you just, you keep believing that. And I sat there for a second and I'm like, well, okay. Maybe he knows something because I was an angry person. And I'd stuffed it so deep that I didn't even realize I was an angry person. But I was operating from a point of anger and resentment and even shame and guilt over all of the events that happened in my life. And that's the thing. We're all running on programs from root experiences in our life, from birth all the way up until where we are currently. And until we learn how to deal with those root experiences and actually understand that everything serves us and being able to see both sides of those experiences, they continue to control our decision-making processes. So events that happened to me when I was six years old were still controlling my decision-making processes, although I was a 50-year-old, quote, mature adult male. I was still making decisions as a six-year-old because those programs were still running me. Being able to change that, now I can make high performance decisions because I can look, I can take a step back and understand that my perception is one sided and step back to be able to see both sides because every moment has both sides. So our perception don't allow us to see it. So you step back, you're able to see both sides. You're able to make a informed decision versus running on programs. And that's really what I focus on now is helping other people with the tactics and strategies to become financially independent, but more importantly, the consciousness that is controlling them behind it. Because if you don't resolve the consciousness, yeah, you may be able to have short-term success in tactics and strategies. Let's face it, 
if anybody else has had success in tactic and strategy, it's a proven tactic or a proven strategy. The only difference is one person's consciousness is different than the other person's consciousness. You can take two people in the exact same area with the exact same resources doing the exact same thing. One will be successful and one will fail. The only difference is that consciousness. But more importantly, you know, a lot of people say mindset, but it's not up here. It's when you get it into your heart where it counts. Yeah. Wow. That's I, I was thinking about what you said, you know, about the, you know, you built a company over you know, worth over 100 million and. And obviously, 0809 happened, and you know, you said you went to a negative number. You know, at that point, you're bedridden for seven months. You know, horrible divorce, uh, even homeless to some degree. It sounded like, uh, and so that that's that is a hard, hard place, right? You know, to be in. Uh, and and now, uh, tell me the name of the book again. Uh, I wanted to get that down. It's Chasing Success, Doctor Alok, A L O K Trevetti. Awesome. Uh, well, I, I uh, yeah, I just appreciate your transparency because I know that uh, so many uh, were probably weren't worth a hundred million or didn't have a business worth a hundred million right even before oh eight or nine. Uh, but what they but still lost everything and haven't recovered, right? You know, haven't gotten back off the couch again. Uh, you know, for lack of better uh, analogy, there. You know, but I mean, it's it's uh, it's so true. And so I just appreciate you know your willingness to share so openly about it. Uh, but really, uh, you know, you coming to the point where it's like, hey, this is not who I am. I, I've got to, uh, I, I can, I can go do, I can go, you know, I can go make things happen again. And, and but uh, you talked about how you got up, you got started, uh, and uh, but you, but like you were struggling to go anywhere, right? Or it seemed like, right? You were doing some of the same things. Um, but what, you know, was it talking to that author then? What was the next thing that really helped you to transform the the direction or the path, you know, that you were going in? Well, I actually went through Dr. Trevetti's uh, Ultimate Rewire uh, program where he actually teaches you the pro his processes that he uses to rewire your brain. Uh, you create new neural pathways, you strengthen those pathways, and you actually dissolve old pathways. Because, And it's completely different than NLP, and all of those are great procedures to do, but you're putting that experience in a box and putting a lid on it and managing it so if you have another event that happens and it knocks the lid off that box it's right back there at you again same thing with most therapists they carry you back to the moment but then they don't carry you through the moment so you, all you did was you strengthened that charge again you made that neural pathway that much stronger and it made it that much more control over you versus going through the processes to dissolve that charge. The minute you dissolve that charge, you've dissolved that pathway. You've started creating a new pathway. And the more you stay on the new pathway, the stronger it gets. You're, it's just an, it's an entirely different way of thinking. When you start doing the processes, your brain automatically starts thinking that way. That's one of the things I love about his processes is he doesn't want you dependent on him. He teaches you the processes. And of course, now I teach those processes as well because we've partnered and uh, I help teach these processes as well. The, the biggest thing is you don't have to sit and try to control and manage it. It's an entirely different way of thinking. 
let's speak to that way of thinking a little bit, or maybe this is kind of what I was moving into anyway, almost, but you know, you had referenced earlier, maybe even before we started recording about this, this paradigm shift for financial independence, right? Uh, and, and, uh, but speak to, you know, what that looks like and how this has come from, you know, what you were just talking about as well as, as far as shifting our thinking, right? Number one, you have to know what are your beliefs around money and what are your values? We're all wealthy, but we judge ourselves based on what form that wealth is in. Like a lot of us say that we want money. However, if money's not in your values, you very rarely will have money, at least long term. Uh, if your beliefs around money, like, and even jokingly, a lot of people say, I want to be filthy rich. Well, if you're thinking that being rich is filthy and you want to be upright and moral and that you're a clean person and that, then you will automatically do things to not be rich because you're associating rich with being filthy. And if you value social connection, then you will spend money to make sure you've got social connection. If you value your health, if you value your family, then you will spend money to have to be wealthy in your family and in your health, but you'll judge yourself because you don't have any money. You don't realize that you've spent that money on what you do value. Now, there's ways to raise your value of money as well. It doesn't matter if it's not in your values to start with. The key is knowing what are your beliefs first, what are your values, and then choosing what values you want to change, what beliefs you want to change, and realizing that wealth is all seven areas of your life and empowering all seven areas of your life versus chasing one area at the detriment for the other. So if you're chasing money, you may destroy your family in the process or your health. Ask me how I know that. I destroyed both my health and my family in the process of chasing money versus empowering my life in all areas. I love that. Uh, just thinking about wealth not being just about the dollar, right? And, and uh, I, I can personally relate to this in a in a big way. Uh, you know, is anyway through my childhood, my father is childhood. Like I can look back and I can think about you know how he was affected and I was you know by money early on, right? Uh, and and how that changes so much uh, about the way you think about money and wealth in the future uh, by what happened, uh, you know, as a child. And so, uh, but I love, you know, thinking about man, wealth, not just being about a dollar, but about so many different areas uh, and you know, what you value, you know, speak to what different areas are you, re are you referring to and, and how do we, uh, I guess, have some kind of balance there if there's a such thing as balance. There is balance. The universe is always in balance. It's our perception doesn't allow us to see it at times. Um, the seven areas of life, at least as far as I'm concerned, is mental. Are, are you doing stuff that is mentally stimulating each day? Uh, learning falls under mental. Teaching falls under mental. Uh, are you growing every day in that area? Are you doing stuff that inspires you? Or are you doing the same repetitive stuff day after day because you don't want to engage your brain and you want to check out from the world? Uh, and then the next is vocation. Is your business or your job inspiring? Do you get to impact others? Um, or again, are you showing up for work to get a paycheck and that's it? Get home and veg out or break out the alcohol to escape from it all. And then... Financial is the next. Are you having trouble managing money? Can you not keep it? 
are are you able to save and invest and money's easy for you? It's different levels and different scales on all of it. Now, on the money side, my granddaddy taught me something or told me something at a young age that it took me a long time to grasp. It's really simple, but he said, money's a lot like cats. And I'm like, how is money like a cat? So we'll think about it. If you chase a cat, how easy is it to catch a cat? And if you actually do catch that cat and it doesn't want to be caught, you usually get clawed, scratched, and beat up in the process of letting of it, the right? cat go. <laughs> Whereas if you go over in the corner and start doing something the cat's interested in and ignore the cat, the cat will come bug the fool out of you to get your attention. So it took years to realize that he was right on that, but money is a lot like cats. If you chase it, it's hard to catch. If you go do something that's interested in, it's fairly easy. And then social. Are you hanging out with friends that you go to clubs and drink and you basically, the only reason you hang out with them because you have nothing better to do and there's nothing else? Or do your friends inspire you to do something more? Are they talking about how can we impact the world? Or are they talking about who's running around who and different things like that? Your, your social circle. Your social circle, you can be wealthy in that without having money easy. And then family. It, well, here's your attitude. You show up for family get-togethers. Your thoughts are, man, do I have to do this? Uh, get me out of here as soon as possible. Or do you sit back and you see both the war and the peace in the family and love both sides of it and realize that that's your family and uh, inspired by it? And then the last is physical. And physical is health. What is your physical health? And you cannot truly be wealthy without your health. Uh, that was another thing that I learned during the process of going broke before I went broke. I was at an event and there was a Canadian billionaire in there. They had to wheel him in in a wheelchair with oxygen strapped to it. We had a conversation and uh, we're talking about a multi-billionaire. And this was back in the early 2000s when a multi-billionaire was a pretty More big regular. deal. Yeah. And he truly made me realize the value of health because he could do nothing. He had billions of dollars and could do nothing other than where they wheeled him in that wheelchair. Versus I still had my health. I had aches and pains, but I could still physically do what I wanted to do. Yeah. That's when I really put a higher value on health and realized that without your health, there's, you don't have anything. And then last is spiritual or service. How are you serving the world? The currency of the universe is service. If you serve people and you have self-value, you will have money. Now, you have to raise your self-value because if you don't feel worthy of money and you don't value yourself, then nobody else is going to value you and, yeah, you won't have money. But if you're truly serving people and putting what's best for them at the forefront, and you have a value of yourself, money's easy. Do you have a, a routine, Joe, of like how you think about these things or how often individually you think about them or 
or how you plan, because it it takes being very purposeful, right? And I've thought about a number of these things for myself, but it's a uh, I, like I, I find it's you know you can go months and months and months, and it's like well I hadn't really done anything towards this thing or planned for this thing or or been very purposeful about it, so it doesn't go anywhere, right? But how do you plan, or is there an annual thing or monthly thing? I don't know, you know, that you are purposeful about each of these things. Well, basically, I spend 30 minutes in the morning, uh, first thing every morning, on evaluating what are my views on different things, like what events happened the day before, what moments do I feel that I have a one-sided perception on, and then I do the process to balance that perception and be able to see both sides of that moment, because again, the universe is always in balance, and Every moment has both sides, but our perception won't allow us to see it. So I make certain that I balance out every morning on that. And the more you do that, your brain will literally start doing that process in every moment to where you're not doing as much work. Um, And I can look back over the events of my life and the absolute worst thing that happened to me in the moment, what I thought was the worst thing with some of the best things that happened to me in my life when I look back over time. The great thing about if you do it daily, you don't go through the torment of years thinking that you were a victim of this circumstance when actually it was there to serve you the whole time. Yeah. Wow. It's uh it's a hard place to get to, right? You know, it's, it's, uh, or when I think about, you know, all the things, you know, we listed earlier about the hard time, 08, 09, you know, what that led to for you, that's some really difficult stuff. Um, but you wouldn't be where you're at today, right? If those things hadn't have happened, uh, you know, or you wouldn't be able to help as many people today if it wasn't for some of those things, uh, you know, that happened during that time. Everything has built me to the person that I am today. I love the person that I am today. Um, and there's a few other little, tools and tactics. One's called the mirror law. The mirror law basically says that the seer, the seeing, and the seen are the same. So anytime you see somebody that you have judgment toward, look and see where you're doing the same thing in a different form, because it's the universe waking you, trying to get you to wake up, to see a side of yourself that you're not willing to realize and learn to love that side as well. Anytime you see something in somebody that you admire, then either you're being too humble or your self-worth isn't high enough to see where you have the same thing and being able to see that you have that attribute as well. Because the mirror law basically says that you can't see anything that's not in you. Towards the end of this segment, I wanted to ask you, I want to remind the listeners too, that uh, we're going to do another segment with Joe and we're going to, uh, Joe, we're going to dive into uh, a few more things around where he talks about balancing the capital and the debt, cap, capital structures and real estate uh, and thinking back to 08, 09, what happened there uh, versus how he's doing it now. Uh, and that's, uh, I, that, I get that question all the time as well. Uh, and I, I know it's a popular thing, right? We want to make sure we're, we learned, right? We are, we want to learn from those who, who were, you know, active in real estate during that time. And, and so we're not caught in the same spot. Uh, so I just want the listeners to remember, hey, we're going to talk about that. It'd be tomorrow's episode. But first, uh, Cowboy Joe, anything else around the values or the beliefs or the wealth, you know, the, the things that we were just talking about that you would leave the listeners with before we have to go today? The biggest thing would would be make sure that 
you know your values. A lot of people think they know their values, but they're actually subordinating to other people's values that they enjoy. And it can be the church, your parents, school, different things like that. And you can listen to your language. If you're saying, I should do this, I need to do this, then you may be doing something that's not really in your values. It's something that somebody else has injected their values into it. When you say, and I love to do this, I choose to do this, that's usually an indicator that you are in what is your highest values. Learning the value of, okay, if I've got a million dollars sitting in my checking account, I got other people I can go to and say, let's do this project. I can give them an equity position of 20 or 30% or whatever. And people are like, well, I can do it all on my own. Great. Yeah, you can. Let's say, all right, let's say you got a million dollars. You can do a $5 million project, but you're going to be stuck doing that one project until it's completely done and you've exited out of it because you put all your money into it. Whereas if you keep your money liquid to where you can qualify for additional projects and you bring in equity partners, all of a sudden now you can do five $5 million projects. And so what if you gave 20% away? You gave away $5 million of $25 million, you still got $20 million versus the original $5 million project if you were stubborn and hard-headed as a mule and doing it all on your own, using all your own money. Here's the other kicker. If you used your whole million dollars in that project and something goes sideways, how do you keep it together? That's the power of reserves and keeping your money in reserves to where you can handle downturns because I don't care who you are. If you're in business long enough, especially real estate and investing, you're going to have stuff go sideways. And it's what options do you have to handle that is will determine not only success in that project, but your long-term success overall and whether or not you continue to grow or you go completely belly up. No doubt, no cash, you crash, right? I mean, it's I've heard it and seen it so many times now. Man, you got to have some reserves. And and speak to, is there a way, Cowboy Joe, that you like to, say, calculate reserves or a certain amount that you have on hand? Or I get that question often a lot, too. And I've heard it, I ask a number of guests on the show, too, you know, and it's like, you know, I just love to hear, how do you know what's enough, right? Or, you know, whether it's personal or and for, you know, for your business. First is there's two other components to the capital structure. There's the debt side and there's the equity side. And 0809, they were saying, get more debt, get more debt, get more debt. And debt's great. It's great leverage. But debt increases the inherent risk of a project. Every project has a certain amount of risk. And each project, you have to evaluate how much debt that project can carry based on the risk factors. and that's, you know, a lot of people have heard of LTV, that's loan to value, but that's only one minor metric. There's a DSCR, debt service coverage ratio. Uh, and then there's also the BER, which is the break-even ratio. Basically, those two numbers are how healthy is the project. Debt service coverage ratio is how much more is that project cash flowing and making than the debt service. And a, a DSCR of banks used to want at least a 1.2. They've recently changed and they want a 1.4, and which is great because I've typically built mine around 1.4 or better because the higher that number is, the safer 
your investment is because you've got money in there to cover the debt coverage. The break-even ratio is measuring the same thing, but in the opposite direction. How much does your project have to fall before you can no longer cover the debt? Banks usually typically want to see an 80% BER. I try to operate around a 70% BER. That means that my project can drop 30% and I can still cover debt. Uh, then the next thing is the equity. The equity is what balances out the debt and allows you to carry the whole project. Uh, equity is you're giving a percentage of the investment or project to an equity partner. So they're taking on some of the risk with you, but they're able to participate in the upside because they have a percentage of the upside. And another thing when you're evaluating debt, use something that's called a loan constant. A lot of people are talking about uh, lowest interest rate, lowest interest rate. Well, lowest interest rate is not always the safest loan. There's a reason why banks promote a lower interest rate for a 15-year mortgage than a 30-year mortgage because the 15-year is safer for them and puts more liability on you. When you actually calculate the loan constant, which loan constant is just the measurement of payments that you're making each year. That's both principal and interest. A 15-year amortized loan may have a higher loan constant than a 30-year amortized loan, although the interest rate is higher. And you typically want to go with the lowest loan constant because you can always pay more, but your obligation to pay is based on that loan constant. You can't pay less or the bank's going to come back and get it. So it's evaluating those metrics and then now getting into reserves. Uh, typically, I like to have at least six months of reserves on a project and reserves are what is your loan constant? And what are the expenses if you have no revenue coming in for that? What are your hard expenses on that? That's like, are you still going to have a power bill? Are you still going to have a trash service? You're still going to have taxes that you're going to have to pay and making sure that you have those built in. And then taking your cash flow from that project and putting a percentage of it toward reserves so that ultimately you have a full year of reserves built up. And again, we're talking about longer term investments, short term stuff. You, It's a different calculation. But when you're calculating long term investments and a lot of people is like, well, six months, there's no way that you need that much reserves. And then when you say a year, there's said, well, you can keep believing that. But Warren Buffett said rule number one, never lose money. Well, if you don't want to lose money, you want to make sure you've got six months to a year of reserves. We just recently went through an event that uh, I won't go into politics, but a pandemic that some real estate investors just experienced a year of no cash flow because their tenants weren't having to pay rents as part of the government. So do you know a year's worth of cash? reserves or are you going to wing it on three months and hope you get by right yeah no i, I love this the thought process of, of how you got there you know thinking through six months to a year what that covers uh i uh, i i even as i invest more 
passively as well. It's one of my questions, right? How do you, how much reserves, you know, do you have up front? Uh, or, you know, if you have a plan for a certain amount of reserves, how are you getting there, right? Do you have it up front? Because often, you know, they'll they'll try to take it out of cash flow or that's their plan, right? Or they'll, uh, you know, get it some other way. But I'm like, wait a minute, you know, uh, what, what happens when this happens, you know? Uh, and, and where's this capital coming from? So I, I love the, just how you have it planned out. I don't know, any other thoughts? Well, you just brought up a great point. Uh, typically, if somebody comes to me for money and all they focus on is what I'm getting as a return, especially first before anything else, uh, I typically run for the hills. Uh, I'm more interested in how are you going to make sure you return my investment, Rofi versus Roni, return of investment, investment instead of return on investment. How are you protecting my investment? And reserves are critical in that aspect. All right. Tell me how you protect them. What are your alternatives if something does happen? Then tell me what is my return. Because I could care less about what my return on investment is if I'm worried about whether or not I'm going to get my investment back to start with. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Uh, uh, yeah. It's some some good. I, I just think about as, as I've learned more, uh, you know, just about investing in general, but as a, a passive investor before knowing some of these things, I wouldn't have known to like ask about some of that. You know, I wouldn't have known to like think through some of those things, uh, uh, you know, years ago. And, and I think it's helpful for whether you're active or passive, you know, listening, uh, you know, that you need to think through that as you're talking to an operator or, or if you're an operator, you need to be able to answer those questions. Uh, uh, but Cowboy Joe, what else about, you know, capital structures or balancing the 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 capital and equity debt uh, debt pieces uh, that uh, even today, you know, uh, as obviously so much is happening with debt and interest rates rising, thoughts around that or, or uh, uh, you know, as far as the capital structures uh, for today? That's the thing. You know, there's tons of investors that get hung up on interest rates, the cost of the debt. I don't focus on what is the cost of the debt. I focus on am I creating a spread? Uh, now, true, the lower the interest rate is on the debt, the easier it is to create a spread. But it doesn't matter if you're investing in something that you've created a negative spread. It doesn't matter what interest rate you're paying. You can you can create a negative spread if you're only paying 4% interest on the debt. If your cap rate's 3%, you created a negative 1% cap rate or spread. Whereas if let's say you've got a project that your debt's 15%, but if your project's making 25%, you've created a 10% positive spread. It's realizing that, again, the universe is always in balance, seeing both sides. Debt's only one side of it. You've got to look at both sides, and the whole key is creating positive spreads. That's the reason the banks have the biggest buildings in every city you go to. That's all the bank is in business is, is creating spreads. They take money in from depositors. They pay them one rate. That's their cost of money. Then they loan it out. And that's their money they're, they're making on their money. They created a spread. They're not using their own money. That's another critical key. That's another reason you keep your money and you create spreads using other people's money. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate e even you breaking that down right there, what the bank does, you know, right? And us thinking that way uh, versus the bank. Uh, so no doubt about it. Uh, Cowboy Joe, what, uh, uh, you know, do you have any predictions for the next 6, 12, 18 months just in the, our, our economy, real estate market, things you're expecting? What, what I usually say on the show is that, 
is that, you know, what we believe, none of us have a crystal ball, right? However, what we believe does affect what we do, right? Or what we're doing today. Uh, and, and so what, what, what are your expectations for the economy, real estate market over the next six, 12, 18 months? One thing, I don't believe there is a quote real estate market. I believe there are many, many, many real estate markets. Sure. Some are overvalued and we'll see a big negative impact over the next 12 to 18 months. Some areas are undervalued and may actually see an increase where as people move from ones that are starting to drop into areas that they can see that uh, there's still great cash flow in properties and that the cap rates are high, those markets will go up in value. I am preparing for a rocky year, year and a half, two years. Uh, I'd rather prepare for it and it not happen from a standpoint of just overall economy. Just some of the things that decisions that have been made financially at higher levels of government, we've eventually got to pay for. Something I taught my kids when they were young. Yeah, you're free to make any decision you want but you're not free from the consequences of those decisions. It's a question of when those consequences are going to show back up as to whether or not when you're going to have to deal with them. And I think that the government has made decisions and kicked the can down the road to the point where the cans fix come back and start kicking back. Um, and again, that falls under asset protection and making sure that you structured to where you can handle that. And that's another critical component is the asset protection side of it and focusing on investments that can weather those times. For sure. And, and maybe uh, give us a, a, you know, a snippet there on the assets that will weather those times. What are your thoughts about, you know, uh, I don't know, the assets that will weather those times? A couple of things. Uh, one, and I know a lot of people are going to roll their eyes on this one, but uh, properly structured uh, insurance investment vehicles, uh, infinite banking. And I emphasize properly structured with proper companies, but that's where you're able to get your money working in multiple places at one time. And that's something that can be your reserves that's continued to grow as well. And properly structured products with the right companies are one of the safest investments out there. Uh, banks have failed, uh, but insurance companies, more well, the ones we deal with are, I think the youngest one's 147 years old and paid dividends even during the Civil War. They still paid dividends. So one of the greatest turmoil times of our country, the company was still paying dividends. So to me, that's a fairly good track record. And then the great thing about it is it's continued to grow, but you're able to borrow against it and use that cash into other investments. I really think that the U.S. dollar has some major headwinds ahead of it over the next year to two years. Uh, I still have some cash reserves just for emergencies, but putting a lot more into gold and silver and into Bitcoin. If you have not done research on blockchain and Bitcoin, and yeah, it's all over the news and the government's going to destroy it. However, every time one of the governments have tried to destroy it, it's gotten that much stronger and it's literally outperformed every other investment out there. I truly do believe that it is a 
uh, hedge against inflation as well as a value asset to invest in, uh, along with some more speculative plays in the crypto space, because that is the future is coming, whether people want it or not. It's new disruptive technology. And the people that try to get in front of it and understand it are going to be in a completely different space than the ones that aren't. And then private equity in AI and Web3. Now, don't go all in on one company because of the promo materials. Uh, use something that I like. It's asymmetric investing. Okay, we know AI is going to be huge. So pick five companies, do the research on all five of them, uh, or do research on as many as it takes to get to five. Let's put it that way. And let's say you wanted to invest $100,000. We'll put $20,000 in each one of them. All right. If one company, 1,000Xs, you don't care what the other four companies did. However, if you put all your money in one company and it went broke, you lost everything. But we know that AI is going to be huge over the next couple of years. We know that the blockchain is going to be huge over the next couple of years. And we know that Web3 is going to be huge. So that's three different areas that we know are going to grow. It's just a matter of doing your research and spreading out the amount that you want to put in each of those sectors. Thank you for being with us again today. I hope that you have learned a lot from the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I hope you're telling your friends about the Real Estate Syndication Show and how they can also build wealth in real estate. You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today.